Um, okay, are you chaotic, evil, neutral, or good? <laughs> There's only the three the three choices. Well, yeah, if we're going chaotic, right? Yeah. Like this episode. All right. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant am I chaotic, evil, comma, neutral, <laughs> or just generally good? I was like, what kind of fucked up selection is that? Uh, like, like true to myself, am I? Am I what? Yeah. Or like, what would I... you consider yourself the closest to? Chaotic good. Chaotic good. I think yeah. most people are chaotic good. I think the yeah. average person wants to do good. If you see somebody drop a twenty dollar bill, you're like, hey. You did that, but if they walked too far away, like, oh, shit, that's mine. Yeah. No. Well, you had a good point once, Adam. You said most people are actually lawful good. We just don't want to admit it. Like, we're not going around jaywalking and stuff. Like, we very rarely break crimes. You're really. yeah. not going around jaywalking? I jaywalk all the time. Actually, well, you know, I said I, I fucking jaywalk yeah. all the time. Yeah. I do. I, I cross the street diagonally. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, but we choose which laws are, like, worth following. Yeah, right? Mm. Victimless so, crimes. Sure. Well... I mean, that guy's got to wait an extra 10 seconds in traffic because I don't just jaywalk, I jay stroll. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny how, like, if you're in the car, it's these fucking pedestrians hurry up and move. And then if you're the pedestrian, you're like, you can wait. Yeah. (laughs) I think my least favorite thing is when those people jog out into the street for two steps and then just walk across the rest. I hear people that uh, they don't. You don't know whether or not they want to cross the street because they just stand chatting right on the corner, and yeah. you're like, "Stand back, go over there, so I know where I stand." Anyway, there we go. It's a mimic, the roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation on Dungeons and Dragons lore. I'm Adam, and with me today are these guys. Um, and I'm going off script because it's a chaotic episode and I don't want to do this stupid intro anymore. They don't even know who these guys so, are. So yeah, these guys are, <laughs> are f- fucked. Um, so this episode is actually called The Chaotic Planes. Reasons for playing and planes beyond reason. Uh-huh. Yeah, that one, that one took me a minute. Um, we've covered all sorts of locations in D&D 5th edition in the past. Um, I think this is our last one on the outer planes. Um, so... We've still got a lot of the inner planes left to do, but we've done the Astral Sea, we've done all sorts of shit in the Forgotten Realm, as well as a lot of the other campaign settings. Uh, we don't touch on the Critical Role stuff, because they've got a different copyright thing going on, and I don't want to get sued. We don't make enough money on this podcast for me to hire a lawyer, so let's... No. We're, we're not going they to be changed. covering that They shit. changed since they got the money. <laughs> Fuck. So, um, anyway, you can find all those episodes and more on... Um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, dozens of other podcast apps. Um, and, uh, you can check out the playlist that we have on all these different lores, uh, on YouTube as well. Is lores the plural? I guess it's different kinds of lore. Different kinds of lore would be lores, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're Are talking you, about well, laws. Well, you're British. Are you saying laws? Uh, <laughs> well, that's right. See, we, I, that's, that's how I know I've been assimilated to Canada because I said lore. Yeah. Like, I didn't say, I would just say law. <laughs> Um, all right, so this episode is going to focus on the three most chaotic planes of the Forgotten Realms cosmology, um, and we're going to embrace the mayhem and the confusion, and uh, we're going to look at what you can expect as players in D&D 5th Edition if you were to go there, or what you can be inspired to do as a DM. I'm totally going off. I'm just riffing now, trying to embrace mm-hmm. the chaos. I will just reach out and slap one of you. Just ride the lightning. <laughs> uh, so... Uh, we're going to start good. We're going to descend rapidly into evil as we traverse these outer planes. So buckle up for a whirlwind tour of uh, Easgard, Limbo, and Pandemonium. But before we get started, I wanted to ask you guys, are you interested in playing in the outer 
planes at all, like good going plane hopping, especially chaotic. Does that interest you, or do you want to stay in the material plane? Yeah, hundred percent interests me. I think as a as a younger DM, I just didn't know how to introduce it. Well, there's no support for it in fifth ed. Like right. it sucks. Yeah, that's right. So you don't really know what you're doing as a more junior DM. Um, but now that I've kind of been exposed to ways that I can make it work, dip in and out of them, and uh, and enjoy them, yeah, I, I'm much more interested in doing it. Yeah. Some of them, yeah. I mean, the ones we're covering today are really tough to play in. Yeah, you so, you can duck in for a session or three, but yeah. I wouldn't necessarily yeah. set a fucking campaign. Um, Pandemonium especially is is rough. Yeah, that is a rough place to be. A lot of the lower planes are like that though. Uh, so let's uh let's jump into it real quick. For those of you who don't know, I think we've done this in all the planes episode. We explain the great wheel cosmology, but for people that are just discovering us, 192 episodes in. Think about the Great Wheel cosmology like it's a 5 by 5 square. It is a wheel every time you look it up. It's a circle. But if you think about it like the alignment chart, instead of 3 on each side, it's 5 on each side. Because you go, you know, lawful good, and then that half step between lawful good and neutral good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then neutral good, and then that half step between neutral good and chaotic good. And then chaotic good, and that's the top, right? right. So. Um, the extremes are in the corners with lawful good being on the top left and chaotic evil being on the bottom right, just like in the alignment chart. Unlike the alignment chart, though, there's a bunch of stuff going on in the middle where everything clashes in the inner planes instead of just being neutral. All the planes on the outside are called the outer planes. They didn't put too much effort into that one. So now there are a few things you really need to know about the outer planes beside the basic idea that alignment affects them, which it very strongly does until they kind of ran out of ideas. Like, I don't know, I'll also put this here too. Um, each plane has a number of different layers or levels. Each plane has a more or less consistent theme. Each plane is infinite. And oftentimes each layer is infinite, even though our mortal minds can only perceive the generally agreed upon scope of the planes. So, for example, um, the one that always pissed Dan off the most uh, was the Abyss. Infinite number of layers that are all infinite in an infinite abyss, but you can come and go and there are clear boundaries and there are doors in and out. Well, what the fuck? The idea of infinite doesn't matter anymore. And I think the point is that it might as well be infinite for what your mortal brain can think of. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so traveling between the planes is incredibly difficult, but it is possible to travel from one area to another, usually from the first or more basic level to the next closest planes first or most basic level. So there's like an entry point for each one of them. Be careful though, as some of the areas are more difficult to find and when you do get in, it's gonna be even harder to get out. Normally, if you aren't astral projecting yourself to a plane, you have to use the plane shift ability or spell a portal or know what you're doing when you're in Sigil, which is the city of doors. Uh, it actually sounds like the new book is gonna introduce a new hub for planar adventure. Um, it's called the uh, Radiant Citadel, is uh, going to be the new city where it's kind of like nowhere um, from Guardians of the Galaxy, the big celestial head city in the sky. Yeah. Um, but this is going to be kind of uh, adventures in and out. And I think it's an anthology too, which really suits that. We've uh, recorded this episode before that book releases. So if it has released by now, then um, we will have more information about it in the future. <laughs> uh most outer planes, or the Great Wheel of the Great Wheel cosmology, act as an afterlife of sorts. 
when a mortal dies, if their soul isn't fucked with by too much magic, they get to live out the remainder of their days on an outer plane that is appropriate to the way that they lived or their uh, racial background, their culture, their religion, or sometimes just their alignment. They can even leave, although most don't want to. Uh, if you die again, you tend to respawn after a while. It's a little awkward to come back 200 years later and be like, oh, day, it's me again. Fuck. Although, fiends and celestials will totally do that shit. They're, they're going to come and go as they please. Um, if you're a native of a plane and not a soul in your afterlife, you will respawn over and over again as well, unless you're on the plane that, that you're native to. If you're from your original plane, you're on that plane and you die, you just get destroyed. You just blip out of existence. Um, it's not like you're erased from memory, but you just cease to fucking exist. It is the cold void of nothingness for you from there. And, uh, so most creatures like, uh, an angel, devil, demon, Yugoloth, Holyphants, Modrons, Nighthags, Hellhounds, Rakshasa, any other creatures from the Outer Planes, if they die in their home plane, they are utterly and completely destroyed. Which is kind of a raw deal. Mm -hmm. Even the souls that go to the afterlife, if they get killed, their plane? No, their original plane was the material plane, and they will... You can always respawn, unless your soul is eaten up by a mm -hmm. soul coin in one of those... Um, Hellfire engines, or it uh, gets torn to shit by demons, or you get lost in the river Styx, right? So there are ways for mortal souls to get destroyed, but it kind of has to be done on purpose. Um, there you are still get two chances. Yeah, and that's enough. Uh, how many lives did you start off with in Mario? Right, like you're, that's almost good enough. Yeah, uh, there are some exceptions to this whole thing, um, but it's generally true. If you die, you get to go hang out on a plane, and there are usually gods or demigods. Walking around there being embodiments of the plane that each calls home, respectively. They will wander to other nearby planes, but they tend not to go very far. And it's really hard for them to get to the material plane. It's hard for most things to get to the material plane. That's why it's such a big deal for fiends uh, in general. So Now today, we're going to cover the chaotic planes, but we've already covered the most chaotic evil plane in episode 25 on the lower planes. In episode 178, covered Arborea, which is the most chaotic good plane. That leaves us with three of the least explored planes in 5th edition. Not that any of them were particularly fucking explored in the first place, but nobody talks about these three. And they had some adventures in previous editions. This kind of sucks. The little brother of planes. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's your 727. Yeah. <laughs> it, these are biplanes. No, that was Bitopia, probably. It, it, never mind. Bad joke. It wasn't even a joke. That just sucked. Moving on. Um, <laughs> before we get into the plane, so I want to tackle one thing that we haven't talked about on the podcast. I've spoken on about six different episodes about the River Styx. Um, I really like the River Styx. Are you familiar with it, Kyle? Yep. Um, for those of you who don't, I know Terry is because we've waxed poetic about it before. Mm -hmm. But for those of you listening who don't know, the River Styx is essentially a river that goes through all the lower plains and um, if you fall into it, you lose your memory and your personality, and you get wiped clean, and it's not a good time. There are only, like, three creatures that are immune to its effects. Uh, even gods are a little scared of the waters of the River Styx. However, I want to talk about the Infinite Staircase. Whereas the River Styx is absolutely fraught with danger, the Infinite Staircase is filled with potential. Assuming you can find a door, of course. Tucked away in forgotten places all over the many planes are a series of doors 
that lead to normal-looking stairs on normal-looking landings. But if you follow the stairs either up or down, you will start to notice that they begin to change. Every door leads to another plane, and sometimes there are multiple doors to the same plane on multiple landings, and they're all out of order. You can go up or down. They're in no particular order, you mean. Not that the doors are out of order. Like they're oh, not, yeah, no, they're, they're not yeah. j- jammed shut or something. <laughs> like okay, so just waiting to, like a custodian, like hung up a little sign on the outside of it. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and they've all got weird, crazy little rules about them. Um, as the stairs progress, they begin to take on the traits of the plane behind the next nearest door. And you can find yourself on a chaotic series of floating stairs hanging in space or finding bizarre gravitational nonsense as the staircase winds and twists, but it always goes up and down, and you're never really sure where you're going to end up next. Uh, And these landings are all different sizes with different details, and all of the different doors that can go off to the abyss, all the different places in the abyss, for example, could all still look different, but they'll all be kind of chaotic evil Mm -hmm. somehow. It's even rumored that if you search one of these landings thoroughly enough, you may be able to find your heart's greatest desire. But, I, so I'm sitting there going, how big are these landings and what's on them? Yeah, right? yeah. Like, I, in my imagination, I immediately expanded it when you said Yeah, that. like now it's a forest. With a I was thinking right? like <laughs> like Hogwarts kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 And a lot of it is. When you think about it, when you read about it, even in previous editions, it is very much a staircase like in Hogwarts, or it is floating in like radiant nothingness, or through the, the sky, or there's just like lava lamp shit happening all the way around you for no reason, and then you get to a landing, and you're like, well, fuck, this is, this in itself is its own weird little like pocket dimension. It's a little demi-plane. Um, but you have to beware. Even though most of the doors have been lost to fable and history and rumor and hazy memory, some are guarded by sphinxes, yugoloths, angels, and other generally not to be fucked with creatures from the cosmos. All three right. of those are not to be fucked with. Yeah, yeah. I love sphinxes actually, though. I just had uh, my party run across a sphinx and oh, just yeah. like showed the fuck up. I don't know. They randomly drew it. I've got a, uh, I've got now decks of cards with different monsters and shit on. Oh them. yeah, I got it All for right. Christmas. So every time that there's random encounters, I make them roll a d10 and we just count off cards and flip the next one. <laughs> and it is, it has been amazing so i'm i'm really enjoying that shit um let's talk about chaos though for a second according to the player's handbook there are three chaotic alignments all right there's chaotic good i'm just going to read this directly so we're all on the same page uh chaotic good creatures act as their conscious as their conscience directs with little regard for what others expect copper dragons many elves and unicorns are chaotic good So it's about following your conscience instead of the rules. Chaotic neutral creatures follow their whims, holding their personal freedom above all else. Many barbarians and rogues and some bards are chaotic neutral. Most Americans. My freedom above everything. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) Uh, chaotic evil creatures act with arbitrary violence spurred by their greed, hatred, or bloodlust. Demons, red dragons, and orcs are chaotic evil. You guys see how this is a fucking problem, letting people choose to be these different alignments. Yes. Even chaotic good can really be chaotic annoying. Yeah. Yeah. You give them an inch, they'll take a mile. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, let's, uh, let's grab dice. I have some questions. 
Let's roll. Oh, I'm purple now. Oh, 15, but I feel like it's not going to last because you yeah, have bumped down to a 10. Oh, whoa. I got bumped down to a this 4. This difficult. This dice tower. I love it. Okay. I can take a picture of it because it looks like a mimic. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, it's a common trope that chaos means either selfish or wacky. Which one is more annoying to you as a player or as a DM and why? Out of selfish or wacky or the three chaotic variants? Out of selfish or wacky, which right. one would you be more pissed off to see at your table? For me, because I rolled the highest, yep. um, I can't handle wacky. I can deal with selfish. Mm. As a DM, I can. that gives me something to work with. Yeah. And there are some times when wacky is fine. If you're going to play an all-cobalt campaign, yeah, that's going to that's gonna lead to some wackiness. Mm. Um, I particularly like uh, involving bullywugs because they're just bullshit creatures that everybody's like rolling their eyes and here comes more stupidity. However, there is a fucking limit. And my D&D is not the wacky slapstick. It's A lot of it is for people, but not for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yours is emotionally traumatizing. Uh, that's the goal. Well, yeah. you know where you stand with that. <laughs> Traumatized. That's <laughs> Terry, what about you? Uh, I agree with you, Adam. I can't stand wacky because, yeah, you're right. You know where you stand with selfish, and it is it is uh, predictable behavior. You can trust that player to remain selfish, and you can work with it. With wacky, it's you don't know what's going to happen next, and it falls into this trap of there doesn't ever seem to be an end game. I mean, there's wacky like Heath Ledger's Joker wacky, but it was always revolving around like a single end game or a particular point that was to be made. Does anybody else think that, you know, his famous quote, do I look like the guy that has a plan? Mm -hmm. His plan was so fucking intricate. Like, he had to sew a bomb into somebody's stomach. Right. Like that guy, okay, he was not half as chaotic as he pretended. So it was that, yeah, that's right. It was, it was method disguised as wackiness. Yeah. Right. That was really what was going on. Uh, but when it's just wacky for the sake of being wacky, we don't. Nobody knows what to do with that, and it only lasts one scene before it's not funny anymore because we can't work with it. It's like fucking Roger Rabbit, man. Like yeah. I love that movie, but I would murder that son of a bitch. Actually, mm. get that. Get as I get older, that movie gets more annoying because yeah. I can't <laughs> handle that anymore. It's like, what do you want? <laughs> patty cake. I want patty cake. <laughs> Kyle. Uh, honestly, I think it's situational. Right? Like, because selfishness can get really annoying, especially when it's pitting one player against the party. Right? When you have that player that wants to steal from the party while they're asleep. Right? Yeah, you know what? That's a good point. I'm, I'm thinking about it. I don't want a selfish player. Yeah. Right? I can handle a wacky player, but I want a selfish character. Because mm. the selfish player is a piece of shit. Yeah. So, I, but I do agree with you. I like a more serious campaign, right? Like, I really want to immerse myself in the game. So you know, wacky kind of takes you out of it. And it's just, yeah, it's not that much fun. Right. I will say I have, uh, I have DM for some very selfish players and most new players are to some degree, a little selfish. They have that, my precious character shit going on mm -hmm. and that's fine. We all do it for a couple of, of campaigns that fizzle out, but like it lasts for a certain amount of time. When that person shows up that says, I'm going to be a gnome artificer that loves to set fires and is a chronic masturbator and is just consistently trying to tie people's shoes together. Man, I am... And by the way, I'll try and cram it all into the first encounter. Yeah. Just so everybody knows. Yeah, yeah that, that drives me nuts. Yeah. Um, so my second question is, how would you embrace the idea of chaos without ending up being a douchebag or a narcissist? I think you go first if we're doing the same. Uh, yeah, oh, that's right. Okay, I did roll highest. Um, chaos... 
I, 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 I feel like it takes you a handful of sessions to figure out what chaotic means for your own particular character. Mm-hmm. A chaotic elf, for example, just does not give a shit about the laws of men. We're going to do what's right. And it's almost kind of nature bend to the chaos, right? And you can see that in a lot of different, like druids in general are like that. Their chaos is very different than a rogue's chaos. So looking into your backstory, your racial traits, the the way that the class is built is going to tell you everything you need to know about whether or not you are a chaotic bard or a chaotic barbarian. They're two very different kinds of chaos. One is like, oh, I'm going to fuck it. And the other is like, I'm going to fuck it. Right? And there's there, there's a difference. Um, so I'm going to look at the character build that I'm making right off the bat. Where do I want this character to go? Because we can't all be Jack Sparrow all of the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And we saw what happened by the fifth fucking movie with that, right? <laughs> Terry? I think when you're being selfish, like a chaotic kind of selfish, it doesn't necessarily need to be about just you. But use that that idea for something like, what if it's, I'm sorry, I have to protect my family. What if, it, I'm sorry, I have to do this for my community, it's still, it's an indiv- individualistic, it's still like a selfish kind of nature. But it, what we mean by selfish is you're just putting something that you value before other people. Uh, and so if you just expand that out a little bit to not just being you, but maybe your family, maybe your community, maybe uh, maybe you're selfish because you actually want to stand by an oath that you made to somebody well, else. hold on, that's lawful though. That is lawful, yeah. but that was maybe a bad example. But you, you're standing by something which you regard to be more valuable than this thing which is in front of you now. The moment that it's about tenets or an organization um, or a banner or something, um, it can it's law. That's lawful. Yeah. But the moment that it's about you know, what's morally right, um, the idea of proving a point, right. of mm-hmm. being, I'm going to be a hero no matter what, then you're, you're traipsing into the idea of, of chaos. So, yeah, you can lean into the commitment of it. Right? right. You just have to know what you're committing to. Is it an ideal or an institution? I think you need to have a code of conduct, whether you're like even chaotic, right? Like you need to have your own personal ideals. And I think that really needs to tie into your bonds, your flaws and uh, your ideal. Right. Right. And I would agree with what you're saying there, Kyle, because this idea of having a code of conduct, no matter how loose it is, is um is was really for direction because if you if nothing like okay so if you're willing to do anything that means you're not really going anywhere mm. you have no real direction so even like the slightest code of conduct or something that you value gives you direction to go in and without it you're not really going anywhere yeah and if I can be honest it's fucking exhausting to be chaotic yeah but I I have been the guy at the party that's just been like. Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. But I'm exhausted the next fucking day, right? Like <laughs> Because you don't know what to do. Yeah, you, yeah. You cannot go to Burning Man 365 days out of the fucking year. Right. You will fucking die. Mm-hmm. And you, but more importantly, you will stop having fun. Yeah. Think about that when it comes to D&D. When you are building a character you're going to play for the next year and a half, you're subjecting other people to these whims that you're going on. That's going to be goddamn exhausting for everybody, including you. You have no reason to do anything. Any decision that you make, there's no reason behind it. So it's kind of empty. Okay, so I disagree. I think people read too literally into the word chaos, right? right? They think... Oh, I'm gonna. I'm here to fuck shit up, and that's all it they, is. They hear anarchy yeah. when you say chaos. Right. Yeah, but when I think of it, it's 
I'm going to do this and damn the consequences. Right, right. right? That's so a good way to look if at you it. go, okay, uh, let's say I'm in a town and it's illegal to murder someone, but somebody <laughs> else is doing it, right? And I have to, I have to kill this person before they kill someone else and damn the consequences, damn the law. Right. If it's going to come after me, I'm still going to do this because I believe that I have to save that person. It's what it says in the player's handbook. You're following your conscience. Yeah. Right. As opposed to necessarily laws. Uh, it's interesting because did you guys see the Batman yet? No. This is going to come out like months after. I have to psych this. myself up for Robert Pattinson because his eyes freak me out. <laughs> like, did they have to make the mask wider? Like, I don't know. <laughs> Bless him. He's great though. He is great. Uh, I have seen it twice already, and I'm going again on Saturday because Batman's my jam. Okay. But yeah, he right. he literally says in the you know I'm not afraid to die, mm-hmm. and he fucking means it. He's the first. It's almost the first time I've seen that where it wasn't like a brag. It was just a fact. Yeah. Like, I don't care. I, and then you see him jump off of ledges and, like, l- put himself directly in harm's way for the greater good. Damn the consequences. Right. And yeah. I'm sitting here thinking about it, like, he was never really lawful good in the first... You're a vigilante, right? Yeah. But, like, I, he's he's chaotic mm-hmm. good as far as the eye can see on that yeah. one. He'll so. blow yeah. up a city to stop yeah. the bad guy. A yeah. lot of people say he's lawful because of his own sort of code that he has, which is really only one fucking rule, considering he doesn't follow any others. You yeah. know, it's <laughs> a slim <laughs> argument to say that he's yeah. lawful, right? Yeah. Um... Have you guys ever uh, played in the Chaotic Planes before? I never have. No. I don't think I have either. Maybe. Did, I don't even think we dipped into it when I was playing with you, Adam. Like I... No, you dipped into the, the demon keep where all the demons were dicking about in there. Right, right. And it was very demonic and hellscape-ish. But we never really went chaos. Yeah, right? that's right. It was, it was evil capital E, but lowercase c for chaotic, right? So... I've um, only played in the chaotic wasteland that is my mind. <laughs> Thought you were gonna say your pants, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh let's jump into the first one. Do you do you guys I, I know I said this earlier, you want to jump into it, right? Do you have yeah. a favorite chaotic plane that you want to jump into? I mean uh, I quite like pandemonium, but I guess we'll we'll yeah. get there when we get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I only skimmed the other two, but I went into limbo, so I am all I am fucking all about the abyss. I'm ready to go in there because the abyss is technically alive and belching out demons. Yeah. And I fucking love that. That's that plane has a will of its own and it's not not a good thing. So I'm I'm all about that shit. But I'm gonna cover first, we're gonna launch into the first one, um, probably Brad and Megan's favorite plane in general, not just other chaos. Um, and that's Easeguard. So the DMG sucks. <laughs> it gives good night. Yeah, it gives one fucking paragraph to each one of these fucking planes, and it is uh, just a pedestrian effort at best. Um, you'd think that there'd be some shit from the Sword Coast Adventures guy, yeah, because it's the Forgotten Realms, and that's our campaign setting book. And and considering it's nope. a five by five square for this, can we not get a page? Like, right? we'll yeah. take the extra 25 pages to do this in the book. It's fine. Yeah, but uh, I don't think it's going to happen in 5th edition. Now that they're eyeing whatever the next edition is, it comes out in 2024, we're never going to get proper plane exploration. So, uh, But here's what we do get. According to the DMG, Easeguard, which is Asgard with a Y, by the way, uh, Easeguard straddles the alignments of chaotic good and chaotic neutral. So it's not an absolute alignment. Um, it's a wild, natural plain of beautiful mountains, fields, and fjords, where the hot summers are long and the cold winters are bitterly unforgiving. The contents 
sorry, the continents hover in the air miles above the oceans of volcanic rock, and below the oceans are icy caverns that are so huge that dwarves, giants, gnomes, and humans have built entire civilizations. So are we picturing this? Flying continents above rivers of, of lava, above ice caverns. I just see like Mario, or like Sonic, that's all I see. Right, like it's really hard to wrap your brain around this, uh, it, as far as the DMG goes. It does say that dragons and horrible monsters roam throughout the plain, and heroes and warriors often come here to test their valor, skill, and toughness by fighting and battling incredible adversaries. There's also an optional rule. And I think they all got optional rules. You guys yeah. got optional rules? Yeah, they all yeah. came with them. This one is called Immortal Wrath. Anyone who dies in Isgard, unless they are a construct or undead, will rise the next morning at dawn with full hit points and none of the conditions or maladies that affected them before death. This is meant to be an infinite battleground where warriors test themselves every single day. It's Valhalla. Kind of. Oh, no. But it's kind of a poor fucking representation in 5th edition of what that even looks like. Or uh, th There's nothing particularly interesting there besides, hey, uh, there's mountains, fjords, lava, and ice. And you could be immortal if the DM allows you to go. Mm. Yeah. Right? So... I went to online sources and I started digging around and I came up with some cool shit. So, Isgard is actually more insane than just being floating continents over a bunch of rocks over a series of caves. In previous editions, the air was filled with floating volcanic rocks that tumble and careen through the air, smashing into each other and echoing loud, destructive thunder through the realm. It's said that at any given point, no matter where you look, you can see two tumbling, airborne boulders crashing into each other. So it's just like the asteroid field from Star Wars in 360 degrees because you are on a floating continent. And there are a number of floating continents up here. Also, this is one of the handful of uh, of planes where you can see the other levels of it because um, it all exists in one physical space. As opposed to having to go through portals and plane hop to get to other places um, like some of the other planes. Would it be like a ring world kind of thing, you know, where it's all facing in? No, I, I'll get to that. Yeah. There's legitimately an up and a down on this. Okay. So, uh, the biggest of the floating rocks are as big as continents and covered in vegetation with lakes, mountains, gorges, and even small oceans on them. On their underside, volcanic rock and rivers of molten magma cover the landscape. Heroes and warriors have built cities and havens above. Fire giants, fire elementals, and some fiends have built strongholds and keeps below because gravity is reversed on the underside of these continents. So you have a, it's like two sides of a coin where the top side is like Norse mythology, mountains and fjords and oceans and shit. And the underside of the coin is lava and magma and fire giants and volcanic rock. And all around, giant boulders and huge asteroids are crashing into each other. But if you look off the edge from either side, you see this sky full of crashing earth. Rivers of boulders tumbling along haphazardly. Earthly destruction in the skies. And if you look down from the top layer, past the underside of fire and rock, or if you're standing on the volcanic rock and you look up from their perspective, and through the chaotic earth and destruction, you might be able to see the frozen wasteland below slash above, where frost giants, dwarves, and even some drow make their home. 
So there is definitively an infinite plane of ice, and all of the continents and boulders float above it. Okay. But On there's either side. No. Yeah, well, the continents float above it. The underside of the continent has reverse gravity. Right. So it's like people walking on the ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a floating pie, and then there's another icy layer underneath it? Yeah, that goes infinitely long. Yeah. Right? And there are hundreds of these continents up there. Right. Um, I'm with you now. All right? Mm. And, and smashing boulders all the way across and in every direction. So... Because the realm was inspired by Norse mythology and was even called Asgard in previous editions, you get the idea of Vikings. That's a real strong theme here. You get giants and dwarves and dragons and gnomes and massive hulking creatures with huge horns and thick furs. The top layer of the realm was called Gladsheim after the Golden Palace of Odin, but Wizards of the Coast eventually decided to distance themselves from real religions, and so both the plain and the top layer are now called Isgard. Canonically, Isgard is named after the whole plane because it's where most adventurers and travelers dare to visit. Nobody goes to the other places because if you do, you're fucked. It's extreme heat or extreme cold. There's a basic understanding here that safety is available within city walls and forts, but outside the walls, battles, duels, skirmishes, and wild hunts are all fair game. The spirits of those who have died still walk around, corporeal now, and looking to face the next challenge. You may find yourself squaring off against a famous warlord or about to duel the namesake of an epic poem. And every fight is a fight to the death because they always come back at dawn. This is Viking, Dwarven, Klingon, Barbarian life unfettered. The Rohirrim would feel at home here, and so would the Free Folk from Game of Thrones. The second layer, Muspelheim, or the Realm of Fire, is the underside of the continents, like I mentioned. But, as fiery and full of evil creatures as it is, it's still focused mostly on honor, tradition, strength, and valor. Because on the plane of Isgard, giants are more intelligent than their material plane counterparts. And there is, if not a civility, an understanding. Might makes right, the ordning still exists, but heroes can step above their station, and those who conquer with honor are worthy of respect here. So it is Valhalla... It's also Stovacor. Yeah. Far below these continents, or above if you're from Muspelheim, it never stops being confusing, is Nidavitler, which it took me many, many YouTube videos to be able to pronounce it. It's, it's not spelt like that, but it is Nidavitler, which means dark fields. This frozen battleground is full of Remorazes, white dragons, and yetis. But in the caverns and among the infinite glaciers are strongholds. Frozen cities carved of stone and ice where dwarves and frost giants live beneath a sky of what looks like molten lava and hurling asteroids from their perspective. Heroes and famous warriors from the Underdark live in these depths among the giants and other races, and war bands and small hunting parties can often be glimpsed tracking gigantic elk and dire polar bears across the frozen landscapes. No matter which of these three levels of Isgard you travel on, you can expect to see fortresses and safe havens carved into the landscape, holding the battlefields and wilderness at a distance, as the mead and ale slosh in stomachs and through beards, and every warm hearth has a massive spit of meat rotating slowly. Everyone who lives here is eager to pick up their axe or sword or hammer and make a name for themselves. The boars and reindeer and other beasts grow larger here. The monsters and serpents are stronger and faster. Blood flows freely, and battle cries fill the air between the sounds of boulders 
smashing together in the heavens. This is a realm of heroes proving their mettle. I want to roll dice. All right. I'm in. <laughs> 18. 13. I got a six. Okay, good. I'm tired of talking. Um, Kyle, what inspires you the most about East Guard? I went uh, first. Oh, you won. went first. Okay, I went fine. first. Well, Kyle, <laughs> what do you hate about Terry? No, okay, Terry, what do you, what inspires you the most about East Guard? I love the idea of the respawning in this hero's, uh, this hero's plane because it almost becomes, I wouldn't say a type of currency, but a, a way, like almost like a contract is how I would use it. Like this is how you would challenge people for property, for rights to things, for subservience whatever and you can if you're defeated you you lose and whatever it was over and you have an opportunity to regain that favor or that position later on but you will not until you do Mm -hmm. now when you think of trouble that like gamblers get themselves into for example imagine uh, how fucked up this could get for them i see someone who is at like the lowest of the low lowliest kind of slave that just can't get out of this awful situation that they're in because they've been beaten by too many people and they can't win these these uh, these positions back. So they just trap themselves in this type of corner. And you know they don't start that way because everyone here is a hero. Right. Yeah. They all had some honor when they showed up, but there has to be the lowest it man on the totem pole. has to be number one, right? It has to be number one, two, and three. So. so everything is trial by combat. It's not even trial. It's just like, what are you doing Thursday? Fighting. Friday, we're going to fight. Yeah. On right. Saturday... There'll be a battle, followed by a skirmish, and then a fight. Yeah. Right? And <laughs> and that's kind of what this whole... It reminds me of an of a MMORPG, right? Where yeah. you can PvP other people. It's safe in town. And you can go shopping and talk to whoever you want. You step outside, they will kill you and loot your fucking body. And if yeah. you want it, you better respawn, level up, and come find them again. Yeah. yeah all right. Exactly. Okay. I also like the idea of... The Immortal Wrath ability, but for a different reason. I love the idea of guiltless TPKs. Sign me (laughs) the fuck up. (laughs) I don't understand. There's guilty? (laughs) (laughs) But you can just do it over and over and over again. In the most incredible creative ways. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah, and even when they die in an awful way, they'll be like, well, it still wasn't as bad as that time with the (laughs) Yeti. That was particularly... You you had a uh, Knob Goblin, uh, Terry, that respawned every single... Knob Goblin? Yeah. Every day at dawn or something. Yeah, he he was polymorphed into a doorknob, and after a certain number of uses, (laughs) he became a goblin who just hated his life. He was destined to die by sundown every day and respawn at dawn every morning. <laughs> and so he would wake up and just turn to the person who turned the doorknob the last time and spawned him back into a goblin He would, who was Terry's character. And so he just followed around <laughs> going, kill me. But he woke up like screaming. He would wake up screaming. Like, like, like coming into the world like Dr. Manhattan did. <sighs> like one layer of or like organic material at a time. I oh had a God. pregnant half-orc wife <laughs> yeah. in this game as well. Who <laughs> <laughs> would wake up to this with me every day. Oh, by the way, an armor that I couldn't take off. Or like yeah. couldn't take off. I had to have a little bit of it on all the time. Yeah. I just uh, Adam just came up with the most creative ways to, me to fucking annoy this half-orc <laughs> wife of mine. But can you imagine Imagine the guy in Easgard who's the worst fighter out there. He just wants to get to the next city. But every fucking day he steps out and he gets 
48% of the way there and then dies. Yeah. yeah. He's going to wake like up back right like he's doing the same trek over and over. Like that level on Donkey Kong or the Ninja Turtles game or something. Like yeah. Impossible levels you can never get. Oh, uh, what's, what, the what, guy what? who, the Greek guy who's chain, Prometheus. Yeah. Who gets his liver eaten by birds every morning and then it regrows at night. <laughs> you got to like, yeah. Or, or what's the Tom Cruise movie? Um, Edge of... Oblivion. Ob- was that Oblivion? Where he's... Oh, no, 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 Edge, no, Edge, Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow yeah. Where he just keeps dying and reliving the same day over. Fuck, that would suck. You'd have to put, like, a Bill Murray, like, Groundhog Day yeah. character yeah. in there. <laughs> And then you actually kill him, and it's actually Bill Murray from Zombieland, and it's just not oh, good. It just keeps going. Um, so, Terry, do you have a good plot hook that you would see a party end up on uh, East Guard for? I think I I don't have the details down, but it would be something around that concept of the impossible level that you can never get through. But it it needs to be optional, like a really, really big boon that they want to get to. Or maybe it can be like a plot hook, like for the campaign, but where they just have to keep coming back and coming up with a new plan. Okay, that didn't fucking work this time, but I know (laughs) this time, definitely, we can do it this time. (laughs) But let them opt in and out of it. Like, okay, let's go away. Let's do that side quest real quick. I know if we take a week, we think about it, we'll come back, we'll definitely do it this time. Get a level, and then come back and try it again. Yeah, we'll get a level, then we'll try it again, yeah. Okay, uh, mine is uh, there's some kind of war going on in Yisgard, and so they attempt to summon Toril's mightiest warriors to help them in the battle, but instead they get your level one party. <laughs> but instead you get these yeah. fucking guys. Because Loki changed the, the roster, so it summons your level one party, and they get sent out on all these impossible battles, and then just get fucking pulverized, and yeah. then respawn... And then go out again, and you give them, throw in some, like, easier battles, let them win every once in a while, and, like, level up, even if they lose, blah, 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 and then just just keep fucking killing them over and over. And just, that would be a quick way to break them out, whatever, well, I shouldn't say whatever dumb fucking characters they've come up with, but, like, if no. you get, like, the Edgelord, and the Horny Bard, and the Lawful Stupid Paladin, like, all in the same party, like, oh, I'll smash this out of you real fast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So you line them all up and just stop, stop, stop. Yeah, yeah, you won't care about having your hood over your eyes all the time after this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and for a more traditional plot hook, you have heroes from generations past up here. Go find the guy and bring him back. Or go get his one sword that will be able to do the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Especially, I'd tie that into your Goliath, dwarf, half-orc character, right? Like... Their ancestor, they gotta go find him, and he he's up there battling every day and just getting better and better and better at it. And you've got to go up there and be worthy, right? And what does that mean, right? And so I think that that would be a lot of fun for uh for your barbarian, your brutal barbarian type, right? Yeah. Um, I have the misfortune of DMing Dave, who brought to the table a <laughs> Leonin barbarian whose backstory was. I am a Leonin Barbarian. Great. <laughs> Fuck. Thank you. Jeez. Yeah. Lionel. Yeah. Let's go. Um, and, so, uh, and so this would be a way that I'd be able to get that I'm nothing but a rage monster to start thinking about more about how to build a heroic character. I'm sorry. He has one thing that he likes to say, and that thing is, I am confidently incorrect about everything. And that is how he plays his character. So he is like chaotic, uh, good. How can you be confidently incorrect? Like when you've been incorrect 
A lot. Well, should well, stop being confident. I've no, met no, no, a lot of people D- that are confidently Dave, incorrect. Dave knows he's confidently incorrect. Yeah. His character believes that he has been correct every time. It just doesn't always work out. <laughs> <laughs> the situation changed. Yeah. Hey, everyone. The last couple of months have been tumultuous ones, to say the least. We added Casey to our roster at the beginning of the summer, but we lost two editors. We're gearing up for bigger and better things, including a revamp of the website and adding a store that has a more intuitive user interface, among other things, because I hate it. But as we look to the future of what lies beyond episode 200, when we start thinking about winding up our conversation on 5th edition and starting to look forward at 1D&D, we've decided to start putting our heads together early to come up with interesting and fun ways to provide more content with less workload, as long as our level of quality doesn't dip. But the biggest upheavals, and the reason everything has gone on a hiatus for the last two weeks, are good ones. They're the fact that Dan is now a part owner of a company, and Mieka and I got engaged over the summer. Now, weddings aren't cheap, so I have picked up a second job. Um, You know I love Halloween, it's my favorite time of year, and so I'm working at a Halloween store right now, uh, small, short little PSA in the middle of this. Be better people when you're consumers. All right, rant over. Um, but as I was am overworked and freaking out and trying to save as much money as I possibly can, I just had to buy a new car too. There's a lot going on in my life. Mieka got her dream job. And that's going to allow her to not only make a shit ton more money, but also to work remotely, which means she's going to be moving up here in the new year like real early in the new year. And for the first time in over five and a half years, Mieka and I will finally be able to live together. It's incredibly exciting, but it's also incredibly frightening. I am just spinning in circles. I don't know what to do with my life. And I am throwing myself into projects and uh, money. And I'm not trying to, this is not me asking for money from the podcast. I'm just saying I picked up a second job. So so we're really focused on on that as well as the podcast. I'm trying to set it up so that it's going to run itself because, man, planning a wedding from the opposite corner of the continent is not going to be cheap and it's not going to be easy and it's just been absolute chaos. But let me tell you, it's been great chaos and I am so happy. Things are going really well and I just wanted to give everybody an update that we're excited for the future and... uh And while the last couple of months have been chaotic and crazy, I have never been so hopeful for my own personal life, the state of the podcast, and the involvement of other people in creating what It's a Mimic should be, which is a number of voices all coming together to interact with different perspectives, to tear apart and look at the guts of what exactly this hobby has to offer. What are our inspirations? What are our ideas? And this is what we wanted to do from the very beginning, and we're getting there. And so I'm really excited. I'm And I wanted to say thank you to everyone who's been sticking around this far. Um, I'm going to try to get some sort of accelerated release schedule back so that the last two weeks don't hurt us too bad. Um, but as it is right now, things are going well. I don't expect there's going to be any more hiccups uh, moving forward. And uh, I'm really excited for... What's going to happen beyond episode 200? And let me tell you right now, episode 200 is going to be a doozy.
It's going to be something unlike anything you've ever heard from us before. And it's going to change everything. All right, I think that is you, Terry. I'm host three, I think. You are host three? Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. I guess that means me. That was just pandemonium. Little old me. Not yet. We left Kyle in limbo there. Yeah. Oh. So, limbo is chaotic neutral, and it is five layers of pure, delicious chaos that are fun for the whole family. How low can you go? Uh, number five. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right. Oh, yeah. Limbo joke. Okay. Yeah, it, that, it took me a second. That's... Fucking Elkai. <laughs> <laughs> You're the new Terry. Come on, man. <laughs> I know. I know. It's hard. When you're focused on the content you're about to deliver, you're not thinking about pretending. About whatever I shit Adam's about to spew. Yeah, that's you. exactly what <laughs> always happens with me. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm about to talk about this thing, which I'm nervous that I might bumble <laughs> over my that words. you told about. me I had to do a yeah. week ago. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Sorry, Kyle. The floor is yours. Yeah, so it's fun for the whole family. <laughs> if your family's idea of fun is the possibility of being eaten, driven mad, or yeeted into the great unknown. Transitory and subject to the whims of its inhabitants, its landscape is always in flux, with matter changing from solid stone to liquid to ice to burning flame in mere moments. A strong enough mind can settle the raging torrent, however, creating pockets of stability. A strong enough entity can even create their own realms that will remain for years after they've left. It has no gravity to speak of, so creatures float through the plane by thinking of moving and voila, can move up to their movement speed in any direction. Also, if you toss something, it is just going to keep going until it hits something. Like, like the laws of physics don't apply here. Yeah, there is no gravity. It is... Huh. You're in space, essentially. But you can think your way through. It's like when you astral project into the astral plane. Yeah. you got to have an intelligence score to be able to move. Yeah. Well, this, you don't need an intelligence score to move, but there are some things you need an intelligence score to do, okay. which is kind of cool. It also kind of fucks things up. But yeah, basically, on your turn, when you using your movement, you just, rather than using your legs, you think, and then you move. Okay. Uh, like Stephen Hawking. Yeah, kind of. Doesn't he blow into a little tube? I guess. Oh, that'd be more. Yeah. The man was a genius. <laughs> yeah. Um, British I, with an American accent. Fuck off. <laughs> you mean the so, computer? He's so smart, why couldn't he walk? <laughs> Fuck. Uh, I am kind of curious about how a gravity, no gravity, would respond to spells like Gust of Wind, though. Like, uh, magic trumps environment nine times out of ten, mm -hmm. right? Like, if you can cast reverse gravity in a place that has no gravity, I think you're still gonna float upwards. It just might be slower. Yeah. Right? Like, it, the magic, the weave still exists in the plane. So the magic still kind of trumps, unless it goes up against other magic. No matter how quiet everybody is in the room, if you cast shatter, it sounds like shatter, unless silence has been cast. Yeah. Right? So. It's it's the same idea, I think. Well, I was thinking that it would have more of, a, of an effect, right? Like, rather than moving you 10 feet, it would move you 20, because there's no resistance there's to no, it. Yeah, yeah. There's no opposing force. Yeah. Yeah, but that, that gust of wind could suddenly turn into a torrential downpour at the same time, right? Or suddenly yeah. anvil. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess that's true. I think you just wouldn't stop. Yeah, you just keep going. Base, yeah. yeah. Anyways, I guess it, they don't really go into it in the DMG, so... They don't know the answer, that's why. Yeah. 
So I guess it's up to everybody's own personal opinion. Uh, so on top of all that, the DMD does give you uh, the added option of something called power of the mind, where basically you can change the world around you as an action. So this is where the intelligence score comes in. You can choose to move or alter non-magic items that aren't being worn or carried with a successful intelligence check, whose DC depends on the size of the object you are trying to manipulate. So if you're trying to move something with your mind, uh, for a tiny object, it's a DC of five and you can move it five feet. Um, plus one foot for every point you beat the DC by. Huh. Yeah. And then you can also transform objects. Uh, so you can basically transform, morgify, uh, one non-living thing that isn't being worn or carried into something else. As long as it's not magical. As it's not, as long as it's not magical and not living. Like you can't create a creature. But you could change a boulder to a ball of flame. And then it's also like DC is 10 for tiny and then 15. This is why I should never be a player. Because I'm sitting there going, is a body considered, like, could I make undead or constructs? I I, I myself would rule no as a DM, but as a player. Is a dead creature considered an object? Well, and that, I think so. You can target it. With the target object with the spell, right. right? You'd be able to target it, so it's technically an, an object. But then you can raise it from the dead, or you know, zombify it, and so maybe they meant non-creature, non-creature, can't create a creature. Yeah. Okay, which I guess helps simplify it. So in terms of Denzians, um, many have made limbo over the years. Uh, their home, including the Batraki, Targus, Tempest Foehammer, Mistral, but. The two most prominent and permanent ones are the Slad and the Githzerai. The Githzerai. Githzerai. If you are not familiar with Gith, and mm-hmm. I'm assuming most people aren't in 5th edition, they're super fucking badass and cool, and we will do an episode on them in the future. Yeah. I was actually practicing that word before I got here, and well, I still managed to get it wrong. <laughs> Fucked it up. Yeah, yeah. We do that you also mispronounced denizens, but I let it go. It's fine. Yeah. Go Thanks, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> so magnanimous of you. Thank you. You mean magnanimous? Uh, no, I'm not going to kidding. It's magnanimous. <laughs> magnanimous. Uh, so the slads are nomads throughout this plane, creating no permanent structures themselves. But they do spend time at a lovely little place called the Spawning Stone, which, coincidentally, is also what Adam names his penis. It is. It the is. Spawning Stone? <laughs> yeah. That'd be your balls, the Spawning Stones? Uh, I guess that's your... Fuck. <laughs> that's incredible. I'm going to remember that. Uh, so anyways, I'm pretty sure you can figure out what they do there. Uh, they'll f- Different slag clans will fight, fight over the Spawning Stone and then procreate. Oh. Which also because you, of the stone or just by the stone? at the stone? No, yeah, the well, stone. well, it's like the only place they can. No, well, yeah, because slot need to infect a living creature. Again, we're gonna do slotty episodes, so I'm really excited about that. But but they get in you infect someone with like the tadpole. If I am a slot and I cut you, and <laughs> what if I am a slot and I cut you, and you have like a wound that opens. A tadpole from like my body will end it's up making inside, it a vagina, and then grow inside you and burst your arm off, and it will spawn from your body like within twenty four hours or something crazy. It's been a while since I looked at slot, and then, and so a red one will do that with, and then a green one will appear, and then a green one will do that, and then a red one will appear, and sometimes they'll make a blue one, which is super badass and crazy. They've got a whole weird hierarchy and shit, but they can only spawn. By implanting their tadpoles in people's fucking bodies and then exploding out of their chest alien style. And it's fucking crazy. The spawning stone is the only place where they can bump uglies and actually, like, 
If that's how they yeah. do it, that's their right, okay? No <laughs> no slot shaming here. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going to cut in here for a quick second because I got all that totally fucking wrong. Um, there are slot episodes that will be coming sometime in the next few months. Uh, so if you can hold off on those, that would be great. Otherwise, go look them up. I'm like 40% right in my information because I'm remembering and confusing information from like two editions ago. So, um, when it comes to Slod, yes, they do weird tadpole shit when they cut you open. Uh, yes, they bump uglies at the, uh, at the spawning stone. Um, but, uh, but their procreation methods are strange, but not the way that I described it. So, I highly recommend you look it up. And I apologize to the four of you out there that were just screaming at your speakers. So, as for the Gith, uh, they do have a couple of notable places to visit, including Shraktlor, a military city-state ruled by a mysterious figure known only as the Gate, Great Gisleray. Gisleray. God, fuck a duck. <laughs> yeah, man, we, we've all done it. It's like the most aggressive, non-aggressive. <laughs> fuck a duck. Okay, well, you rhymed it, so. Uh, the Great Gisleray. Yes. Yeah. Of who little is known, but is revered as a deity king. Outsiders are not welcome here really, and are often relegated to encampments outside the city walls to prevent spying on their defenses. And then there is also the Monastery of Zurth Ad Lun, a stabilized sphere about a quarter mile in diameter, led by Sensei Belthomias. The monastery is laid out kind of like an M.C. Escher painting, with stairs that lead to walls and ceilings that take advantage of a lack of gravity in Limbo. Here, outsiders are actually welcome and can stay up to a week visiting or several months if they wish to partake in the training the monastery offers. It's cool. Uh, Gith Sarai, if you don't know, just really, really quickly, are one half of the Gith. There's Gith Yankee, who are in the Astral Sea. Right. And, and are essentially sky pirates. And then there's the Gith Sarai, who are monks. And We've covered these guys, right? We, we've discussed the like... Gith Yankee in the Astral Sea episode. It was a long time ago. It was ago. a long time ago. So, like, over 140 episodes or something. Like, it's been yeah. a fucking while since we've talked about it. But uh, the Gisari are monk warriors that used to be enslaved by the Mind Flayers. Um, and then they broke free and they went their own way. And they will kill uh, anything illithid on sight. So that's why they have these fortresses in Limbo. Because they've got enough discipline to be able to wield over this crazy chaos, right? And then the, their enemies can't get them here. Yeah. But, like, I low-key love Limbo because it's it's fun. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's just, it's yeah. batshit crazy. Uh, yeah. And it's, I really like the dichotomy between the Slod and the Geth, right? You have this one really well-functioning kind of machine, and then these other guys just flying through space. Fucking at a stone, <laughs> <laughs> and and their chaotic is all fucked too. Like, oh yeah. Uh, if if one of them dies, the other's like, ah oh, shit, yeah. keep going. Like they are they are the most chaotic parts of demons and goblins and everything else you could possibly think of, and they're just pure evil. Like like demons are are bloodthirsty, battle hungry. Slaw just want chaos. It just want to destroy fucking everything. Right. Well, apparently, from like some of the history that I was reading about this too, is that the first inhabitants were the Batraki, and they're kind of like a frog people. They're one of the creator races. Yeah. Uh, and they worshipped Ramanos. Ramandos. Ramandos. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he basically sent them there, and then he mutated them. So 
Apparently the Batraki are the progenitors of the slot. Oh, that's neat. I didn't no. know that. No. Because we don't have enough fucking frog people in this goddamn game. Yeah, I was just thinking that. More frog and fish people, sure. <laughs> there are a shit ton Slightly of sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many of them, and I don't understand why. But, I mean, here's more. Like, yeah. let's, let's go. Yeah, because then there's some creatures that we're kind of missing. There's people that you think we would kind of... Like dog it. people? Where the fuck are the dog people? Uh, gnolls? Yeah. No, it's hyena people. Mongrel folk? Yeah. Well, that's just racist. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't that wasn't great. I I completely skipped that in my the Curse of folk, yeah, I was like, it's... we're not gonna touch that, I don't think. There's no benefit to it. Yeah. <laughs> Werewolves? Again, lycanthropes. Like they're still I guess it's as close as you get shifters, maybe, yeah, but yeah. only some of them. And dogs is different breeds at that point as well, right? You know, nobody like, wants to be a were poodle, right? Exactly <laughs> that. I bet they're vicious, though. Yeah, I bet. And surprisingly large. I'm always shocked at how big poodles are. Yeah, I fucking hate. Poodles. I fucking hate poodles too. You know what I hate the fashionable dog right now is like uh, the labradoodles. Fuck those yeah. dogs. I'd rather not, but you do, you, Terry. <laughs> Jeez. Do you have any more, Kyle? But... Uh, no, that's pretty much it. All right, let's let's uh, let's grab dice again. Okay, sorry, Kyle's going to whip that foam at you. It's okay. Nobody at home. Oh, forgive you this one time. How about this 17? Oh, dick. Now it's a 12. Oh, yeah, I got the 17. You did? Uh, no, Kyle did. All right, Kyle, so what inspires you the most about Limbo? Okay, I really like the optional rule, which is going to be the same, I feel, about all of these. But the one that basically elects, allows the players to affect the plane around them. Um, granted, you and your party are going to need some serious theater of the mind skills to be able to pull this off. But I think uh, it has the potential for some really memorable games. I also think you need to have a social contract before you sit down to do this. That you are not going to just immediately fuck with that other party member. Yeah. Who is like, oh, hey, it's my, my mother's medallion. Boop, no, it isn't. Yeah. Well, not worn or carried. So not worn or carried. Yeah. Okay. You can only affect stuff that and non magical. And non magical. So you can't fuck with each other too much. But when one person's like, okay, I'm gonna make that doorknob a lock, and the person's like, I'm gonna undo it. Yeah. <sighs> now you're just taking sides against each other, and like you really want a lot of NP. Now that's interesting. This is counterspelling counterspell, right? Like you can you can go crazy with this if you have enough villains. Yeah. You know, yeah, okay, that's my thing. That's my thing. As a DM, I'm going to have um, commoners, level zero peasants, that can also warp reality around you and make the stone that you're standing on now water, mm -hmm. right? And, like, I, I can abuse the environment so badly. A mob of commoners all focused on one thing. The players don't have the action economy to be able to undo yeah. it. Yeah, I would kind of treat it as though... It's, like, uh, distasteful to do it. As though it's, like, the equivalent of, like, a fart joke. Like, if you do that, there there people are just... It's this, just not done This here. is what no. children do? Yeah. Yeah, you can just picture nine-year-olds getting mad at each other, like, turning their favorite toy into something else. And like, yeah. 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 You don't affect somebody else's things because it's considered gauche. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Terry? I think there's so much that you can be inspired by with Limbo because there's so much you can do. I've kind of gone full circle where I'm really not inspired by it. I don't like it because the benefit does not outweigh the cost for me. The players, because they're trying to have fun and they'll have fun in the most obvious way because everybody, ah, they're going to fuck with you and it's going to derail everything. It's, it's going to be hard to deal now with Now the it. statue's a penis. And yeah. it's going to be like, okay, great. Well, now my big, because that, that was the big bad. 
that was hiding as the statue is yeah. now going to turn out to be a penis. No, now he's King Dong. Exactly. <laughs> now he's King Dong. And all of a sudden his acid spray is hilarious. <laughs> uh, so, uh, for that reason, I think I'm not too inspired by Limbo because uh, I don't feel like it's going to be that. It's going to be enjoyable to the players, but for the wrong reasons. And damn it, have fun the way I tell you to. That's <laughs> um, Kyle, what's a good plot hook? That you could see a party uh, end up in limbo trying to accomplish. Okay, so going through all those things, I'd like to see something with the Batraki and Basram Goreg, the Firebringer. Did a bunch of research on him. He's apparently he's a demigod that used to be one of the Batraki, and he has something called uh, the Chaos Stone. The Chaos Phage? The, no, it's the Chaos Stone. Okay. It's like the super tall tower of a rock that's constantly changing shit around it, and apparently it like, calls to him. Over time, but he's trapped in runes, like, uh, by, he was trapped in runes by a mage, and he's got, like, a cult now called the Hidden Flame, and I would love to see something. This this feels like first and second edition adventures that have become canon. Entirely possible. A lot of this, like, demigod shit was previous editions adventures, and then you would, and that's how Vecna got as powerful, and then depowered, and then repowered again, is because these were all little modules and adventure paths and shit, so... Well, isn't that kind of like what happened with Tash's in 5th edition? Yeah. yeah. So, either way, I just thought he was a really cool character, and it's a two-headed frog person that can uh, polymorph. That's fun. And he's a firebringer? Yeah, he's called he, a firebringer. Is he a fire-breathing toad? Because I'm totally into that shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty badass. I don't know. For me, um, I'm going to lean on the Gith Sarai. I love the idea of you getting here to talk to some specific head monk at the monastery and... You have to sit in the encampment outside as chaos reigns around you and up is down, black is white, cats and dogs living together. <laughs> like, it's just, it's crazy madness out here and your players just have to come up with a way to get inside and they're not going to rogue their way through the fucking gate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? The Giths or I are too good for that shit and they've all got some sort of crazy fucking intelligence score. That's their jam. Mm. So they're going to outthink you and outdo everything that you can possibly come up with. You just have to be diplomatic enough to get in. And I think that that's a unique challenge for a lot of tables. Right. I think I would embrace the chaos of it in the sense that it would be an agreed upon space where perhaps uh, negotiations would happen with like big bads or opposing armies or something like that. Cause it's like, look, Hey, this place is so fucking ridiculous. Neither one of us is going to be able to predict what's going to happen. There's no way that we can pull a strategic advantage on each other in this place. And so it's kind of so crazy that it's ideal for us to kind of sit down and talk to each other. Uh, because there's just no way that you could plan how to defeat the other person in this environment. So I would kind of make limbo like Switzerland, like a neutral state where people often go to basically talk things out and you can have like a more kind of social encounter puzzles there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What's the, okay. What's the fuckiest thing you can do with this power? Of where you can just change anything into anything? Yeah. Like, haha, your peanut butter sandwich is now a glass sandwich. Fuck you. Right. Like, what's the fuckiest thing that you can come up with right off the top of your head right now? I'm just turning the floor to fire. Like, yeah, fuck, why not, right? Yeah. And it's any object, right? But it's not really clear on. No, no, you, you said the size of the... No, the size of the object is only for moving it, right? Si- no, size will affect the DC for changing it. Okay. So, yeah, a tiny object is uh, DC 10. Small object is 15. Uh, medium is 20. 
and so on and so forth all the way. Yeah. You won't be able to do a gargantuan object. You can't. No, you just can't that. do a fucking castle. Yeah. Okay, I mean, that's fair, but I mean, still, DC 30 to change a fucking carriage? There's gonna be some, some wizards that can do that shit. Right. And like, Rightly so. Finally, intelligence is getting something else to do besides religion checks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, that's right. Terry, do you have a fuckiest thing you could think of? I feel like it's so crazy that even what I think of that I think of creative is not that creative. I'm, I'm like, feeling... haha, everybody has to sleep. So I turn your, your bed covers into concrete and crush you. And it's like, that's the most creative thing. I don't know how crazy I can At get. this point, I'm just pranking people. Like, the toilet seat becomes solid. That's it. And now that's why pooped. I don't like it. Yeah, I, right. I mentioned to you guys earlier, I fucking hate pranks and I don't want to deal with it. I don't yeah. want to be here. That's the thing. If you're sitting on a toilet seat, is it considered being worn? No. No, uh, it's wearing you, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're definitely, nobody wears a toilet. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's touching. Yeah, but it doesn't my butt is caressing it. Uh, is your butt caressing it? Is it a caressing motion when you're sitting so. on the camera? I would like, say so. You, and it's not that you're carrying it, because it's carrying you. Unless you're on the toilet yeah. in reverse gravity, in which case you yeah. would be carrying it. Or, or you're you, sitting backwards on a toilet and you're holding the tank. Or you are... <laughs> like, is it butters on South Park? <laughs> you, you're, you're saying good job to the toilet seat as you're pooping, so you're carrying it emotionally. Right. <laughs> Whoa, fine steed. <laughs> Thank you for supporting me. Yeah. It's my turn to support you. <laughs> uh, and are we sitting on toilets the wrong way around? Does it make more sense to <laughs> sit the other way around? Because I feel like it does, but whatever. Then you have a table to play with your micro machines. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Is that milk. what you call it, Kyle? You have a micro machine? Table to play with your micro machine. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, I feel this is a great time to remind everybody about our social media. So you guys can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and at r slash it's a mimic on Reddit. Guys, remember, if you want to email us about anything, any questions, queries, not complaints, we don't read them. Any mailbag questions, <laughs> info at it's a mimic dot com. We love positive reviews, uh, sharing on our social media and word of mouth is how we get news of the podcast out there. So don't forget to hit us up on our channels and somebody eventually will read it. Yeah, everybody just looks at me because yeah, I I I do read it, even the complaints, and uh, it keeps me warm at night. What damage could we possibly be causing to the world? I can imagine the court going, "Wait!" And somebody on the internet said they were mad at you for what? And what damage are you causing with your local indie Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> podcast? Because they said, "Get the ray, fuck!" <laughs> yeah, even the judge is like, "I can't even read this complaint. I don't know. I'm going to get cancelled from trying to read the complaint out." Okay, I guess we're moving on to me then. Yep, time for uh, some pandemonium. pandemonium. I'm going to talk about pandemonium. I want today. you to know that I saw your notes online. I went through and I corrected all the spelling. It was panda monium all the way through. Was it really? Like, I wonder if that's like autocorrect or something. I have Grammarly on my uh, oh, do you? laptop, so it might automatically. Okay, well, I was I I thought it was adorable, Terry. The, Thank you. Did you, you really thought it was see that? yeah that it was a bunch of pandas on the fucking? <laughs> I wonder why that was because. I didn't actually type pandemonium out at any point. It was like copy-paste and then adjusting and moving things around and huh. that sort of stuff. So, I don't know, maybe some Grammarly. Thanks, Grammarly. Sponsor us. Because uh, <laughs> we use you for our show notes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are, you, are you saying it's your grandma Lee? Is that yeah, what? My grandma Lee. Your yeah. Grammarly? <laughs> uh, pandemonium. So, I see a split consensus on whether or not it's uh, chaotic neutral or chaotic evil. I think arguably it straddles both. 
I would argue neutral because I don't think the plane is directly evil in what it's doing. But you guys judge for yourself based on what I tell you right now. So pandemonium is considered... It's evil. (laughs) It's evil. (laughs) It's completely evil without question. But it is essentially considered to be a plane of madness. It's a a great mass of rock which is riddled with tunnels that have been carved out by howling winds uh, that plague this plane. It is incredibly cold. It's noisy. It's dark. There is no natural light. It is the worst possible environment you think could to be in as a human. Um, the the wind is so great great there that it will quickly extinguish any non magical open flame. So that's your torches. That's your campfires. Uh, that yeah. So your human fighter cannot hear or see anything in this place. You're relying on lanterns, I guess, at, or the light cantrip. Yeah, mm. that's right. Yeah. So um, conversation is barely possible. It's only possible by yelling. And even then the mechanic is up to a maximum of 10 feet. Uh, and so uh, consequently, creatures have disadvantage on any ability check that relies on hearing while you're uh, on pandemonium. Most of the plane's inhabitants are actually creatures that have been banished to this plane uh, and of course, they have no hope of escape. Uh, many of them will have been driven mad by the the incessant winds, uh, and they will be forced to take shelter uh, wherever they can in places where the winds will will die down um, until they just sound like like distant kind of cries of torment, which is how they are uh, depicted to sound on Pandemonium. So that's from the Dungeon Master's Guide. From online sources, uh, I learned that without adequate protection, beings with hearing are rendered uh, temporarily deaf in a matter of seconds and permanently deaf uh, in a matter of minutes. The gravity in Pandemonium always pulls away from the center of any cavern. So if you are traveling through the caverns, um, you may walk on the floor or walls or the ceiling. That can change from cavern to cavern. The streams and the rivers that would flow through these tunnels would flow either along one surface like the the left wall the right wall the ceiling or it may just like inexplicably kind of flow through the center the larger caverns are hundreds to thousands of miles or kilometers if you're canadian deep uh wide and tall and the winds there could lift up small humanoids and carry them far away before of course they end in a dangerous landing for them so uh while pandemonium the only inhabitants there have been banished from other planes this uh, this may include like quasits, uh, shadow demons are known to be there. They're plentiful there. And then some low to mid-level demons. Uh, the occasional demon lord that is in exile uh, will be there as well. Uh, and so that gives me the impression that they would be desperate to escape. But they're demons, so they're not going to rely on deals. It'll be a lot of kind of tricks and, and scheming. And of course, they will have been there before you. So they'll kind of be ready to put that in place. You know, it's good. It's going to be very premeditated on how they deal with that. So these creatures will be trying to escape. So not only do you have to deal with the absolute chaos of the environment, but anything that you run into is going to try and manipulate you uh, to escape. There is optional rules for pandemonium and the pandemonium. There are optional rules for pandemonium. (laughs) Gifts array. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) The optional rule is that of mad winds. So, a visitor to Pandemonium... Is that when you have, like, too many Brussels sprouts and beer and you have mad winds? I just got, just got mad winds, bro. That's <laughs> <laughs> all the gangsters talk in London. A 
visitor to Pandemonium must succeed on a DC-10 wisdom saving throw after each hour that they spend among the howling winds. If you go into the caverns and those winds die down, you won't need to do it there. On a failed save, this creature will gain one level of exhaustion. Remember, you have to do this every hour. And to remind you, a creature that reaches six levels of, of exhaustion while... Uh, on this plane, they do not die. Ordinarily, they would die. Instead, if they reach six levels of exhaustion on Pandemonium, the creature gains a random uh, form of indefinite madness. And you can take that from uh, Chapter 8 in the DMG, the Dungeon Master's Guide, and that's the running the game section. Finishing a long rest doesn't reduce a creature's exhaustion levels either, unless the creature can somehow escape the maddening winds. And that, in a nutshell, is Pandemonium. So... As far as I have been able to tell from my perusing of all of the... I'm just going to add this on as a tangential thing. Sure. All my perusing of the monster manuals, and I love stat blocks and everything. There's only one creature that is from Pandemonium. Oh, really? I never even found that one creature was. I found that all creatures were not. It is the Howler. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, which has this big scrotal-looking thing hanging off of it. It looks like a big demon dog essentially like but, a but it's like a bagpipe right like it's you can inflate this thing and then and then blow that up that is terrifying what's mm-hmm. called mind breaking howl which is uh, this is a CR8 creature um, Mordenkainen says why does the howler sing doing so causes its prey to flee and surely stealth would make for better hunting in howling pandemonium there is only one answer the creature can taste fear so these things are actually louder than the howling winds, and they will allow their voices to echo through these tunnels to scare the shit out of people, because you can't tell what direction they're coming from. And then you run, and then they hunt you, and then they fucking eat you. I don't need that. <laughs> in my life. Oh. oh, you don't need that. I'll, I'll return him to the pet store then. Um, let's grab dice. Sure. Whoever goes first always gets knocked out of the way. Of yeah, that's table. right. Nat 20. Still. Oh, oh, oh okay. hold on. Twos, twos. Kyle, we're rolling off twos. I don't kill my nat 20. Though. No, you're nat 20, Stan. Okay. I want everyone to know three, that Kyle tried ten. to bump it and it didn't work. Okay, so, uh, well, that's... Because I live to make your life miserable, Terry. Thanks, Kyle. <laughs> Tori. Join the queue. <laughs> <laughs> Get behind me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what inspires Let you the most? Let me be toilet seat. <laughs> <laughs> About Pandemonium? Yeah, Obviously what? about Pandemonium, Terry. That's what we're fucking talking about. <laughs> about about Leanne Rhymes? Uh, yeah. okay. <laughs> um, I think that it's so chaotic and the environment is so uh, just savage with the with the winds and the madness there that I'm reminded that while players can't always like facilitate planar travel, that other creatures and other people within the world can. So the DM can control kind of dipping in and out of planes like this to make what would be regular encounters much more interesting. So it's, it's, let's use combat first. That's an obvious one. So it's not just a combat counter. Um, how do you handle combat counter when you can't hear each other, when you're going to go mad very quickly, when, when you're in this kind of environment, but also a social encounter or a skill challenge where you may, the players may have thought it was going to be very obvious what needs to be done. And you kind of pull the rug from under them when you put it in a place such as pandemonium. And there's very powerful creatures in the world where, you know, or there's portals and things everywhere where you can put that encounter in pandemonium. So I was, uh, I was inspired to use that type of environment more often in the game. If I can't get the players to Pandemonium, I'll bring the effects of Pandemonium to them. Hmm. 
Uh, yeah, I'm going to expand on that a little bit because I just saw that I have no more notes, if that's okay. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in fact, no, guys, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll slip it in uh, next time I make a point. I bet you will, Kyle. <laughs> All right. Um, I guess what inspires me the most would be a toss-up between the party not being able to hear each other from more than 10 feet away and the mad winds. The not being able to hear each other could lead to some very interesting scenarios in creative problem-solving. Uh, also, I would make the party actually yell at each other, just... Shits and gigs, you know? <laughs> at the table? Yeah. Just the neighbors for, will love you. Yeah. Just for shits and grins. Yeah. As for the mad winds... Uh, <laughs> it's fun to say mad winds. Yeah, also, yeah. I just... I, I guess I got inspired by the spirit of chaos when I was going through all this. And I figured to, you know, really simulate the mad winds and get my players immersed in the environment, I would bring a big-ass box fan. And just pointed at the table. <laughs> I thought you were going to say bagpipe. I don't know yeah, where he was going. He started yeah. stuttering for a second. <laughs> like he was nervous <laughs> to say it. <laughs> I was trying to hold off laughing on myself. Okay. <laughs> he was like, you get a big glass box fan and point it right at the table. So there's just fucking papers flying in your players' faces. <laughs> <laughs> driving them literally mad. Yeah. What about like... Uh... Does he blow things out of your hands? I wonder, like, if the uh, if the wizard is like, I pull out my scroll of... <laughs> 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 What's it, what, was it Gust? Yeah. Is that what you were about to say? Because uh, <laughs> no, um, look, I I love this. Okay, how do you guys do portals? Just just wondering. If a portal opens up, can you see through it into the other plane, or is it just like a shimmering pool that you have to step through? And God knows, like uh, Stargate style. What's on the other side? Oh uh, no, I do it so that you can see through it. Like it's ripped open, time and space. Yeah, okay, so it's an open door, Kyle. How, yeah. how do you do shimmering? It? Yeah, you do shimmering. Yeah, shimmer. I, I go I go back with it. If you can pass back and forth through it, you can see it. If you're in control, if it's naturally occurring or it's a one-way portal, it's it's shimmering and and difficult to to control. So, however, I like the idea of somebody. You know, the big bad evil guy is coming to fuck your shit up when the portal opens and you hear the howling winds oh. of pandemonium, and then the silhouette starts walking through the tunnel on the other side of the portal. Towards the portal, right? right? Getting bigger and then, and like stomping its feet. And you can hear just the screeching howls of torment as they step out into the put. That is a great opening. Like, here's my big bad evil guy uh, just stomping forward, not concerned at all. And he looks you square in the eye and pulls out the cotton balls out of his ears. (laughs) Hi! But, but like, I really... All the creatures are deaf, right, as they come <laughs> through to the prime material plane. That's a good sign that they've been... They're always yelling. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I really like that as an intro. That That's the big inspiration for me, is the uh, being able to see it and know that shit is about to hit the fan. This does feel evil to me. Right. Yeah. Because it's just misery. You can't survive here. Right. What vegetation can you scavenge? Yeah. It's right? not neutral in the sense that, like, our Earth is kind of neutral. It's, uh, yeah, it definitely feels one-sided. Like, wastelandish, right? Like, I can just picture undead roaming around in here for eternity. Yeah. Um, Terry, you had more that you wanted to naturally inject, so... It reminded me, actually, that uh, the death is not the worst thing that can happen to players, and that... Uh, or to their characters. Or their yeah. characters, yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> death is the worst thing that can happen to the players, I suppose. Uh, or their characters, and when you have effects or environments like this, 
the the cost of failing encounters or failing skill channel challenges shouldn't always just be uh, death because I think players would be more afraid of their character becoming death forever. Yeah. But it's hey, you know where you stand with it. You know you're there's there's consequences to what you do, uh, and it just kind of reminded me of hey, you can make the game fun by having different consequences to death. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kyle, what's a good plot hook that you would see a party end up in Pandemonium? See, I don't know if there's a really a plot hook that I see bringing a party to Pandemonium. Banish. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's more of a punishment, right? If they piss off uh, some super powerful being, they get sent there for a certain amount of time, or they get caught in some wild magic bullshit, and then they get sent there for a little bit. And it's less of, you need to go get this MacGuffin, and more of, you just need to survive this. Yeah, get out somehow. Yeah. I mean, uh, oh, Terry, you were next. I mean, it's banishment or it's a rescue mission. That's what I yeah. think. You know, it's a prison break, essentially. Pandemonium's like Australia. That, right? yeah. <laughs> That's where I was going with this, actually. That was going to be my thing, because when your bard doesn't show up for a session or two, have them banished to Pandemonium, because that's where you send bards. No one can hear you, and you're going to go deaf. Yeah. I'm sorry, bards would just be pissed yeah. about that, right? So send the bard there. Oh, because he can't hold a tune anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And then everybody else has to go rescue him. Also, can I just point out real quick, it's really the fifth level of exhaustion that's the scariest for me because it reduces your movement to zero. Right. Whatever you, like, whatever the sixth level is, it is now coming. Like, that's a foregone conclusion. You're fucked. Mm. At fifth level, you are relying upon someone else coming and rescuing you and hauling your ass out of there. And as we know, it's the chaos episode. Your party members will not do that. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're the bard, no one's coming. Oh, 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 oh that was a happy oh, accident. <laughs> Just happy. like what happened with the bard was a happy exactly. accident. Uh, any final thoughts from you guys about uh, about these chaotic planes? Do you like them? Or do you like them more than you thought before you started prepping for the episode? Like Pandemonium, don't like Limbo. I liked He's guard. guard. He's guard. Yeah. I like them, but I think I'll only see limited use out of them. They're it's not nice, going to feature prominently anywhere. It, it's a nice place to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there. And also, yeah. it makes me think after this, like, just to touch on Pandemonium again. I mean, how much do we need to flesh this out? Really? You know, like... Yeah. I get it. How much can you really do there? Yeah. So, how can you build... I, I wanted to ask, do you guys... Did you have different layers and levels to yours? Yeah, there is four different levels to Pandemonium, actually. But they're all essentially the same kind of shit? Yeah, it just, like, some elements of it, just depending on which level you are, are more exaggerated. Yeah. Uh, this one's louder, this one's colder, this one's darker? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, Limbo... There's more tunnels here. ...didn't really have much. Like, it has five layers, but they don't really have geography or of course. anything like that. Yeah, it's just, right? it's just move, moving around. Yeah, they were sure. named after uh, deities from Earth. Like, There's two Indian ones, a Japanese one, and then there's one just called the Lost Gods, and nobody knows what's there. Well, shit. Yeah. Well, that's a plot hook, right? Yeah. Gods die all of the time, right? But where do they go? Uh, there. It's just a waiting room full of gods. It actually is limbo. It's them sitting in just like a, a white yeah. room, just Muzak playing. It's yeah. the girl from Ipanema <laughs> yeah. going on in the background. Yeah. Oh, fuck. It's it's, it's a fucking Rod Stewart going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. or, yeah, the waiting room for Beetlejuice. Yeah, exactly, uh, right? Number 9,407,000. <laughs> yeah. Calling number three. <laughs> uh, um, so, 
I guess that's all for this discussion on the Chaotic Planes. But there are a lot of other planes in Dungeons & Dragons, so subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future. Next week, we'll be discussing three noteworthy but often ignored playable races in D&D 5th Edition. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website at www.itsamimic.com, as well as store for some sweet-ass merch. We also rely on word of mouth to get news of the podcast out there to the community. So please pass the word to everyone you know. And that's that we're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, requests, and questions for our mailbags can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. As I was the one who covered Pandemonium today, and uh, Pandemonium is known for having creatures be banished to it, so you're, it's inhabited by, you know, it's luck of the draw. You don't know who you're going to be rooming with, essentially. My question to you is, out of all of the intelligent creatures, which one would you would you most like to have as a roommate? Thinking outside of, like, the core races. We were all for it? Sure, let's okay. do it. I got ten. Two. two. Oh, you got bumped to seventy. Kyle, roll off. Roll oh, off got your two. twos. Twenty. Oh, three. Uh, oh, eighteen. Fuck. All right, one last. <coughs> so that's twenty. All cool. right, Terry. Answer oh, that's me. Oh, yeah, me. Uh, probably a uh, probably a hobgoblin. And the reason being, because they're very regimented, they'd be very clean, tidy, ordered. I think they'd have uh, they'd be asleep at good time. I think they'd be up and out of the house nice and early. And uh, and I think they would be respectful. Uh, and then any killing that needs to be done, they would probably go and do that elsewhere because it would not be strategic for them to kill me if I pay half the rent. Okay, interesting choice. Um, so are we presumed to be friends? Uh, not creature? necessarily. It's no. more of, a, it's more of a, a contractual understanding. Interesting for you to go lawful evil on that then. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it would be sweet to have like a fairy dragon, you okay. know, just because they don't talk, which is a bonus. That's always good. Uh, they got magic, and you know they're little shits like I am. So I feel like we could bond over that. You guys are gonna play pranks on each other? Your your YouTube channel as roommates is gonna be great. Yeah, let me tell you something. I fucking hate pranks. I don't like them. I don't enjoy them. They're you like just... watching other people suffer through pranks? I know because I get because this podcast has been a prank on Dan for the last like three fucking years. <laughs> yeah, none of the episodes have ever gone out. Yeah, <laughs> we keep this up so that he thinks that we're doing it. Hey, edit another one, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> there's good pranks and then there's bad pranks, though. Right? See, I'm going the exact opposite. I'm going with the Modron. I just want oh, to yeah. hear you sleep in your closet. I want a Roomba essentially as a fucking yeah as a fucking roommate. Sure. Wake up, clean the apartment, go back to sleep. It's fine. Okay, that's a good choice. Thanks for listening. Bye.